Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. And joining me for today's show is Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you? Oh, you know, just uh, the election never ends. I was told it ended and, and then and then it kept going. And it was so, supposed to be over. It's yeah, never going to be but, over. But we're still here. We're still here. We're still here. And we are here today to talk about more elections uh, as we discussed, as I uh, discussed with uh, Josh and Nabila last week, uh, the two Senate races in Georgia are headed for runoffs. And because Georgia is always the center of the political universe, it is for control of the U.S. Senate, which is just amazing. I mean, yeah, you know, Never it's like a, the whole conception of this show is Georgia's important and people should pay attention to it. And, and now uh, we're undeniably right. So, you know, we, we were ahead of the curve on this. So on today's podcast, we are going to talk about early positioning in this race, uh, the way in which John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are positioning themselves on the Democratic sides of these two races as they try to unseat the two incumbent senators, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. Uh, we will also talk about one of the main ways in which Leffler and Purdue are positioning themselves, and that is to call into question the results of the presidential election, which is just great. Uh, they called for Secretary of State Raffensperger to be fired earlier this week while saying that he failed to deliver transparent elections, uh, but without giving any evidence or any clear reasoning that they felt he failed to do that. They called for his resignation in a way that at least to me, appeared to be a very transparent attempt to uh, stoke the interest of the president, President Trump, and and get him down here uh, potentially to campaign for them if he uh, gives a shit at all about this race as he hopefully is going to be exiting the White House. And we'll also talk about the way in which uh, Raffensperger responded to this call for his resignation. He called for what's known as a risk-limiting audit that will effectively be a recount in uh, the race. So we're going to talk about how that's going to move forward in advance of Georgia's certification deadline for the presidential election. But Luke, let's start with uh, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue here as they called for Raffensperger's resignation. They have played into uh, this narrative that is that Republicans are attempting to build in competitive states across the country, that this election was somehow fraudulent, that the fact that the president did not win in several of these closest states, that that is evidence of some sort of fraud. But like many of the claims put forward in courts and by people who were purportedly observing the vote counting process, all of these claims tend to come without a shred of evidence. And, and that's what you also saw here from uh, Leffler and Purdue. What was your reaction to this call from Leffler and this call from Leffler and Purdue for Raffensperger to resign. I think I'm not shocked that they have taken this route, but I am actually a little surprised. I probably shouldn't be. Uh, the The primary thing that makes me surprised about this is that they are in a state in which the candidate they are falling on a sword for is the candidate that lost the election. What I think is giving me so much trouble here is that this is obviously a political strategy, right? Like, they do not believe that Brad Raffensperger did anything wrong. And how do I know that? I'm a Democrat in the state of Georgia. And you know what I love to do? I love to accuse Secretary of States of doing things wrong in Georgia because they oftentimes do. And they oftentimes are just flailing around, having no idea what they were doing. And that was because... Brian Kemp, for a very long time, was our Secretary of State, and I thought there was a lot more incompetence and malevolence in, in, in Brian Kemp. The the thing that we have discussed on this show for quite some time now, and we're kind of always shocked when we, we hit on this, but it, it really does seem at this point that Brad Raffensperger is kind of good at his job, <laughs> and especially comparatively to Brian Kemp, and that this election was very smooth. The wait times around the state for the general election were incredibly short, especially by comparison. I mean, there were places that had longer lines, but the average wait time was pretty low throughout the state. And I was part of the voter protection team for the Athens area, and we there were very few lines, very few problems. And, and I mean, all in all, it seems like this election was very smooth. The count has been slower uh, of absentee ballots for Georgia standards. And I think there's really two 
big reasons for that. One, I mean, just the astronomical increase in absentee ballots, and unlike some other states, we didn't go back into session and say, hey, here's a little bit more money, Brad, to deal with all these absentee ballots. We basically just said, oh, what we got's good enough, and you'll, you'll be fine. And, I mean, most of the state was fine. Like, it's just a couple counties that are huge and have way more ballots than they've ever dealt with, and so it's just like, these are just not big problems. I think what is very, very transparent to, I, I think, most people is that Purdue and Loeffler's complaint is, is that Raffensperger did too good of a job. He made it too easy to vote in the state. And so Democrats were able to win because in Georgia, the one of the principal things that had been keeping Democrats from winning were all of these administrative barriers to voting and all of the, you know, just how willing are you to do it? Are you willing to stay in a five hour line? And a lot of people weren't because they had lives and jobs to get to. But this year, since there were far less problems in that way, it was far easier to vote through different methods. Democrats were able to win. And I think they don't like that because they don't like democracy. They like their, you know, one state rule where the only people that can vote easily are Republicans. So, you know, as I said last week on the show, as we watched President Trump try to come up you know, spin up these instances of fraud to explain his loss and that absent the fraud, he would have been the winner. To me, that act that he put on just wasn't very compelling. And so to me, it didn't represent a very alarming or threatening trend from him. He lost the election by a lot. And there's just, to me, no viable path for him through lying and trying to bring Republican officials to his side, there's just no viable path for me for him to overturn the result of that election. And so I found it more amusing than alarming. The fact that you have Leffler and Purdue continuing down this path, to me, is what's alarming. Because at this point, I kind of thought that there was this opportunity for Republicans to kind of cut their losses. You know, they should recognize that Donald Trump was a pretty much a disaster for them down ballot over the last four years, most notably in the 2018 midterms, they could well, let I, I him would argue go against that. Not this year, not this they, year, they but they suffered no consequences this year. No, but I think that they, they suffered. I think the consequence was suffered in, in 2018 when their gerrymandered house slipped away from them. But in any event, I mean, he's, he's a drag on them just beyond individual election results. He's also a public opinion drag. Um, and they could have just let that go. But they have decided, I think you see this decision in real time from Purdue and Leffler, that that kind of conspiracy theory, base-driven, fear-mongering politics is the politics that they want moving forward. And most immediately for Leffler and Purdue, they see that kind of politics as the way for both of them to win these runoffs. And I don't think that you can you know, put that toothpaste back in the tube during this runoff or in the next election cycle, or when you have another uh, Republican running for president in 2024. And so I, to me, it's alarming that this is a real, this was a very significant loss for president Trump, a very significant loss for a presidential incumbent against a challenger. And I, I thought and hoped it would have been a stronger sign for them to kind of ditch this politics and and that's not that's just not what's happening yeah i mean i agree with you and that's what i was trying to articulate at the beginning is just like trump lost georgia like they they don't want to admit it and they i mean there's only one or, i think there's two logical options in this moment one they actually believe this because i mean at this point so many republican voters do when you poll republican voters uh and you and I mean, this is just the ecosystem they're in now. So maybe they buy it. Maybe they think Brad Raffensperger is part of the Democratic conspiracy. I don't know. Um, I, I think that's the less likely option. The one, and this is where I'll slightly push back at you. I don't know if they want this to be the politics, but, but I think they think this is the only politics in which they win. Because, and, and this is, I think, the framing in which this runoff election has to be looked at. It is not a persuasion game it's a turnout game like runoffs in georgia never reach the same turnout potential as the general elections even midterms the, it's significantly lower and so i mean considering that in mind i don't think purdue or leffler think they need to change one person's mind 
They just need to get people that voted for them to vote for them again. And with that, you know, turning President Trump against them is is a way for them to fail in that endeavor, I think they think. And they're probably not wrong. And unfortunately, that is leading them to behave the way they are because they think nothing matters. I mean, the, the thing that I really think we're seeing with all the Republicans who are not just condemning Trump on this is they think it doesn't matter. They think that, you know, Trump's little Twitter fingers are the most powerful force in American politics and that if they go against that, they will be punished for it. Whereas if they they just humor him for a week or two, there will be no consequences to that, which I think is very, very wrong. I think they they, they I mean, this is just quite obviously them choosing Trump over country. Right. Like Trump is more important to them than the country because they want to make Trump happy so he doesn't tweet at them than to do anything else because they think and the sad, unfortunate truth is they are probably right that that is how they keep their job and they keep their first name of senator. In a second, I want to move on to how this you know shapes up the runoff. I, I think we're kind of headed in, in that direction in this discussion. But before we go there, I don't want to let slip past here. Democrats have been very critical of the administration of elections in this state over the last few years. Uh, most critical, I think, of of Brian Kemp when he was Secretary of State and, and the things that he did regarding elections, but also pretty critical of Raffensperger. And I had a sort of a gut reaction seeing Leffler and Purdue's statement that there would be some people who say, you know, there's this negative reaction from Democrats to Leffler and Purdue's statement, but they weren't complaining two years ago when Stacey Abrams lost a narrow governor's race and and refused to concede. I didn't want to let this slip past without putting it out front that Democratic criticisms of the administration of elect, of elections have frequently come with evidence. They have brought that evidence before courts and requested very specific remedies. And even Stacey Abrams' view of her sort of non-concession in the race to Governor Kemp was largely more a criticism of those policies and the broader system of administering our elections and not this claim that somehow the count was fraudulent or that somehow there was this, you know, this sort of nondescript foul play that robbed the election from Stacey Abrams. And so I, you know, I'm sure that we're going to have some of that back and forth in the next few days. And Luke, I don't know if you want to say anything about this, but to me, it's just this, this sudden switch where Democrats are actually, I think, mildly impressed with the turnaround from Raffensperger to have a relatively smooth election and the improvements that were made amidst COVID with the new voting machines between the June 9th primary and now. That doesn't invalidate all the previous criticisms, um, but you're going to see an attempt in in the discourse to say that, you know, Democrats, you know, used to not concede elections and now they're criticizing Trump for doing the same thing. Those just aren't, those two just aren't the same things. That they aren't, especially because there were a lot of changes to Georgia's voting system between 2018 and 2020. So it's it's just not even the same environment. It's not the same Secretary of State, and it's not a Secretary of State who is running for governor in you know the governor's race. Uh, you know, so that that makes it a lot different. Like Brad Raffensperger was not out here filing a press release saying the Democrats hacked Georgia's voter files a couple days before the election. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's a completely different environment. And I mean, the thing, the thing here too, which is really frustrating is, and you, you've already hit on this, Cal nationwide, like Trump has lost this election. He has lost it by a lot. He is not going to win. The resolve of Georgia is actually irrelevant to if he wins or loses this election, cause he's already lost it. And even if he magically got Georgia to become red, if he just said, I claim Georgia and Brad Raffensperger changed all the results. So, you know, Trump got 95% of the vote, like that wouldn't matter. He would still not be president after this. And so, I mean, that's the, the big stupidity of this is that. And then um, what, what, what frustrates me about it is that like the margin is closer than a lot of other places. It is as of last time I saw, what was it like 11,000 votes for Biden? It was up to, 12? it was up to a 14,000 14? uh, margin for Biden today, according to, Raffensperger at a, at a press conference where he 
announce this risk limiting audit. We'll talk about, but yeah, 14,000. That's actually a bigger margin than I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, it is is for me, too. This is a respectful win for Biden. It is in the, you know, the range in which you can request a recount and Trump can request one. I I think it's fine if he wants to do it. It's going to, you know, cost us a lot of money. I wish we had a law like Wisconsin where you have to pay for it if you want one. Um, But it's just it's just so pointless. It's so pointless. There's been a long history of recounts in this country since 2000. And I mean, they just change a handful of votes. Like it's very rarely changed enough to flip an election, if ever. And so, I mean, this is just, it's a vanity exercise. And Purdue and Loeffler are prioritizing Donald Trump's vanity over good policy and letting this country move on because he's a loser. And what they are saying is we identify with the loser. And I just think that's a strange, strange strategy, which again, unfortunately might be successful. Yeah, I think, Luke, even more alarming for me is not even necessarily that they're siding with Trump and trying to to stoke his ego, but that they also view this as a valuable political tool for them in the in the runoff. Let's talk a little bit about the recount that is going to happen. Um, So we're recording on Wednesday and on Wednesday afternoon, uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger announced that he was ordering a risk limiting audit of the presidential race. And that because the margin of Biden's apparent victory in the state is so narrow, that risk limiting audit is in effect going to be a hand recount of more than 5 million votes, all of the votes that were cast in this state. A little sort of like background to kind of set the stage here, and then and then we can talk about what this means politically. So risk limiting audits are this new procedure that's being put in place along with the new voting system that, that Georgia authorized in 2019. And typically the way a risk limiting audit works is that you pull a random sample of ballots, check to make sure that they match the votes that you you think were cast on those ballots and you check enough of them and use some statistical methods to be confident that there is very low risk that the result is different than what you got in the original tabulation. Now, because the margin in this race is so narrow to meet the statistical standards, you would have to pull something in the range of a million ballots and Doing that random selection, pulling, counting, and then putting back a ballots is a very complicated process. And so it's actually simpler for Raffensperger to order this risk limiting audit in a way that is in effect a full by hand recount. Now, the reason that this distinction matters between what is legally defined as this risk limiting audit and what could just be a, a straight recount ordered is that at this stage before results are certified, the Secretary of State would not legally be allowed to call for a full recount uh, without some example of discrepancies or, or something gone wrong. And if the state does what is legally defined as a recount, it is done by scanning the QR codes on the ballots or using scanners to do the count and not to do a hand recount. So there's a little bit of like legal definition work going on here. And I should should credit all of this to Stephen Fowler at Georgia Public Broadcasting. He has very quickly become the go-to source on everything elections in this state. So if you're not if you're not reading his reporting, following him on Twitter, listening to the Battleground Ballot Box podcast from GPB, go do that because uh, he has a lot more detail and a lot more context on this than, than I can give you in this quick description. But Luke, this decision from the Secretary of State was met with some criticism from Democrats saying that he caved to this political argument that Trump is making that we discussed um, and it's also a it's a it's a logistically tough exercise because the existing certification deadline to get this recount done and get Georgia's votes certified is next Friday, November 20th. Counting five million ballots by hand in a week is, is going to be a difficult exercise. But the secretary of state says that it's possible. And as you noted, you know, in effect, this doesn't matter for the result of the presidential race. It It's unlikely that it flips many votes. Uh, but even if it did flip Georgia into Trump's column, it doesn't put him over 270. So in effect, this this all doesn't matter. Luke, this, despite that, this was kind of a, a big 
news item today. But do you have a strong reaction either way to Raffensperger calling for this recount? I mean, it's a waste of time and money, and it's Brad Raffensperger prioritizing Donald Trump's vanity over everything else. I mean, the the positive argument I would give, and you know, this I, I'll be fair. This could be genuinely where he's coming from because sort of a lot of Brad Raffensperger's tone and his employees' tone has been. We have done a really good job and we are tired of your criticism. And so we're just going to be completely unimpeachable and we're going to go above and beyond what we're required to do just to shut y'all up. And I, I think that might that might also be the angle he's coming from, which I would I would understand that one a lot more uh, because, I mean, again, at least comparatively, Georgia's election was far smoother than it has been in a long time. Does not mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean, you know, there's more we can do because there definitely is more we can do. But it was a lot better. And. I, I think Raffensperger has a lot of room to be frustrated by all all the stuff that's happening here and all the ways in which they're just... I, I mean, I don't understand this message anywhere, but I especially don't understand it in Georgia because what the... Especially coming from Purdue and Loeffler, it's not like they're saying, like, we should have won our elections and we shouldn't be having to do these runoffs. Cause I almost would understand that more if they're like, there was so much fraud. We should, we shouldn't even had to have runoffs, but they're not. They're just like saying like just the presidential race has this massive fraud and it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And it is obviously them prioritizing Donald Trump over the country. And I'm, I'm tired of it. And I, uh, hate to see that our poll, our, our our poor, exhausted poll workers are going to have to continue doing things for this election when they also have a December 1st runoff to prepare for uh, in some places and a January 5th runoff to prepare for uh, statewide. And, and it's just it's ridiculous. And I, I, I hate that we're having to deal with this because as we've hit on, it will not change the result. It will not. And if it does, then then uh, it, it is that is probably a case of actual fraud in which we will have to investigate and spend more money and more time trying to figure out what the hell is going on. So I, I just don't see what like is going to get accomplished here other than like we do this recount, spend a bunch of money and time on it. And Brad says, yep, Biden won. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm not quite as annoyed or, or alarmed as other people. I actually think in some ways this is a fairly savvy political move for Raffensperger because he does have these calls for his resignation from the two senators. Uh, Brian Kemp didn't go as far, uh, but his spokesperson put out a statement um, that sort of bought into the, the rationale from Leffler and Purdue. So Raffensperger has a political problem with the Republicans, but he's pursuing a process that allows him to continue to say, these elections were pulled out with without a problem. We made massive improvements from where we were earlier in the summer. And there's no evidence that there are discrepancies in the count, but we're going to go the extra mile, do the recount and, and confirm what we already know. And that will also confirm that Raffensperger did a pretty good job administering this election. The downside I think is the money that's spent, but also I'm a little bit concerned I mean, the very best rationale would have been for him to say, fuck you, the election was done right and, and we stand by the totals and bring us your evidence that this is not right or, or shut your mouths. But he wasn't going to do that for politics and like, ugh, fine, whatever. But um, but I, the one thing that I, the one risk I see is that because this is a hand recount, it's not going to match the exact totals of what came out of the machines just due to human error. It's probably going to be only a handful of votes one way or the other. It probably is not going to be anywhere in the range of the 14,000 vote margin that Biden has. But even a, a discrepancy of a single vote is just going to be yet another opportunity for Leffler and Purdue to put out a press release saying that, that you know something was fraudulent, something was wrong, and, and no evidence to that effect. And so I'm, that's the one risk I see about this decision. Um, but otherwise, I, you know, I wasn't quite as alarmed as, as what was seen today. Yeah, and I, I think it is because of the fact, and I think this is important going into our conversation about what this runoff is going to be about, is that Trump is, Trump is so hard to talk about in a 
productive intellectual way because he is not a productive or intellectual creature he is a creature of emotion and feeling and he could not tell you the difference between you know fascism in nazi germany and communism in the soviet union because he just doesn't care about such things but what the problem is is just i mean he's just he's just you know he's a weak man right he's an authoritarian weak man and he wants everything to go his way or if not his feelings are hurt and right now his feelings are causing in the state of georgia a lot of money and a lot of consternation and republican infighting and the net result of it is going to be less trust in government because regardless even if like they do this recount and they'll be like yep we were two votes off or even no votes off it's just it's just prolonging something that should not be an issue right like any other human being running for president you know if it was jeb bush you know president jeb bush president marco rubio that got to pg in georgia they would just throw in their hands up and say well i guess i lost you know and like that's as far as it would have gone or they would say well let's just do a recount because it's super close but i'm sure you know it's right you know and, and that's just not what we're having happen here and we're having all this hot temperature and you know raised voices and uh madness uh just just because one guy can't accept the fact that he lost uh because there's a lot of people i'm seeing uh in in my you know uh more liberal circles that are wanting to call all these folks fascists i have used the word uh, myself and it's like i don't even think they deserve that moniker because it's so unorganized and so just like throwing out bs that it has no basis and has no plan there's no plan there's no tomorrow you know going there's no goal they're going towards with this besides just keeping trump happy and i i don't know i i don't know what to take of it you know i i i think i think the thing the thing that makes this so hard and i think this is what what really goes into what the next two months looks like is that i really can't i don't have a good analysis of is this them just trying to make trump happy or do they genuinely believe this and once trump is out of the equation will they continue to push ideas like this and that is what i'm really unclear on from Purdue and loffler i think it's evidence that they i think their own personal beliefs are largely irrelevant but they think that this conspiracy theory politics motivates a big enough section of the base and it plays into their larger argument about Democrats being radicals and the combination of those two things they think is going to get their voters out to the polls um, to help them win this runoff. And if, if they do, you know, the other thing I think this comes down to is like, we still have not seen in Republican primaries, like moderates sort of come back to power in the party. You've seen limited instances in some states, but, but there's not been a broad rejection within the party of base conservative conspiracy theory oriented politics. You know, we're sending Margie, we're sending Marjorie Taylor green to Congress and Kelly Leffler won the Republican side of that jungle primary, uh, I think largely as the more base driven conspiracy theory adjacent conservative. And so until Republicans believe that there is a different path to winning elections within their own parties, to winning their own party primaries, I think that they see this as just the best tool for mobilization that they have. And that I think is really alarming because like, to me, it just feels like that train only goes one direction. It doesn't turn around. And that's what I, what I find really alarming. I think you're exactly right, Kyle, that I think this, this tone and energy is really where they think they're going to win this race by not engaging on issues, not having a substantive critical debate about like, I believe in tax cuts and polluting rivers and you know uh coal is the energy source of the future and climate change is fake like they don't think that's how they're going to win this race they don't think they're going to be able to win the way that purdue won in 14 by like saying i believe in all these republican policies and aren't they great ideas and obamacare is you know death panels and and terribleness like they don't think they're going to win that way they think they're going to win with this conspiratorial minded 
thing where, you know, not only has the election been stolen from Donald Trump nationwide and this huge conspiracy of both Republicans and Democrats only stealing Trump's election away from him, but that like the Democrats are radical socialist, communist fascists who want to take away the police and all of your guns and every everything else. And I, I, I think there's no better sign of that uh, than the ad that feels very oddly 2007 uh, to me and 2008 to me uh, that she released against Warnock. Uh, so you want to play that, Cal? Meet Raphael Warnock. He wants you to know he eats pizza with a fork and a knife. He once stepped on a crack in the sidewalk. But Georgians don't care about that. Georgians care that Raphael Warnock was a proud defender of anti-American, anti-Semitic pastor Jeremiah Wright, who suggested America deserved the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Not God bless America! God damn America! We celebrate uh, Reverend Wright. Warnock said law enforcement officers are gangsters and thugs and a danger to children. He's anti-Israel, anti-Second Amendment, sympathizes with Marxists and socialists, and wants to make your neighborhoods less safe. Don't let him fool you with pizza and puppies. Raphael Warnock is too extreme for Georgia. I, I don't even know what to make of ads like this, and that's really what these campaigns have, have become, because I feel like at the beginning of these races, and I do mean like the beginning, like back in January prior to COVID and prior to a lot of the temperature raising, that they were trying to make more substantive arguments. And I, I think they just have absolutely no faith in those. And then you combine the fact that this is going to be a runoff. And they think the only way they're going to win this thing is by pissing every one of their voters off to the point where they are not, you know, just going to the polls casually, but they are racing to the polls to try to, like, be the first ones to vote for them to vote against all these crazy things because i mean not one of there was no substantive policy in that ad at all there was no i'm kelly loffler and i would like to do x there's no even raphael warnock wants to do y and i think that would be bad they just like said a bunch of buzzwords and make a make a bunch of accusations without any proof and you know referenced a scandal from you know 12 years ago the sad, I mean, the sad, the, I, I think the thing that makes me the saddest about it is that, like, right now, if I had to put money down, I would say it's it's going to work and they will win doing this. Yeah, I think it's funny. We've, uh, I think we've come full circle to the, the broken episode from a couple of weeks ago now because I was so skeptical that amidst a pandemic that all of these fear-mongering base-driven issues would work, would be effective at all. And so in some ways, I thought that because Republicans had banked so much of their message on these types of issues in the middle of a once in a generation crisis, that they would be headed for a historic and resounding defeat. And to me, at least as we stand today, my takeaway from the election is that voters largely punished Trump for what's going on in this country and did not put out that same kind of punishment on Republicans down the ballot. And in some sense, I think you could argue that that then became a working strategy for Republicans. And I think in the, in the very immediate short term, it was a working strategy for Kelly Loeffler to get her into the runoff. And, you know, she, to win the first stage to, to get a ticket into the runoff she had to go all in on a base mobilization strategy. And that same kind of strategy is one that gives you a chance of winning the runoff. So I think it explains the approach and I think it actually gives them a decent chance of a victory. Um, because you know, this is, this is what motivates their voters. It's, it's a dark kind of politics and it's one that, you know, isn't appealing to me in it, in any sense, but it, I don't know. It it works, and that's kind of scary. So in response to that, I want, I want to read you this quote, Kyle. Normal people that want to own a home and raise their family in a safe community and retire with dignity and have a country that's safe and stable and give their children a chance at a better life, they're going to vote against people that are crazy and want to undermine all of that. That's what's stake in this election. I'm going to stop right there. Who do you think said that? 
And hmm. what were they talking about? <laughs> uh, you got me stumped on that one. I don't know. Who said that? That would be one uh, singer, Marco Rubio in Georgia today. Uh, I'll, I'll finish that it now. That was today? And, that oh was today. God. And if you and if we don't control the U.S. Senate, that is the agenda that's going to be pushed. If if doesn't, it does, I think it's supposed to be it, but it says if in this. It doesn't even matter if the majority, if the Democrats, if you polled them and gave them truth serum, they're not in favor of it. Again, there was no policy in that, and no like they think this, we think that. It's it's just fear mongering. I mean, it's the it's the most base fear mongering I've seen, and it is. I mean, it, I I don't. I want to say I don't get it, but I do get it. I mean, it's very very simple, and I think this is a good place to transition to what the Democrats have been campaigning on, especially because Purdue has been very quiet since this election which is odd to me i don't really understand well actually um, he, b- he before signed we, on before we go to purdue i want to because i actually almost answered your quote as saying that that was Raphael warnock that said that yeah. and i i sort of <laughs> thought that because i was hoping you would of the message that Raphael warnock is sending in his first ad sort of reintroducing himself let's listen to that ad because that description sounds like what Raphael warnock might say after you hear this ad people like me aren't supposed to run for office i grew up in the housing projects of savannah my mom is from waycross she spent her summers picking cotton and tobacco dad was a veteran a small businessman and a preacher they taught me the value of hard work I was first in our family to graduate from a four-year college, earned a PhD, and was called to Martin Luther King Jr.'s pulpit as senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I've always thought my impact doesn't stop at the church door. That's where it starts. Fighting for affordable health care, fair wages, to protect the dignity of work. This race for Senate is about who you think best represents you. If you're looking for a billionaire, I'm not your guy. But if you want someone who's been through some of the same challenges as you, I'm Raphael Warnock, and it would be my honor to serve you. That's why I approve this message. Luke, I think two things. I think, one, that message is driven at neutralizing and sort of directly combating Leffler's ad in the, uh, the, you know, the outlandish claims made in Leffler's ad. Um, but it also sounds like he's trying to talk to the same people that I was surprised to learn that Marco Rubio was talking today, talking to today at a campaign event in Georgia. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's interesting because the very cynical analysis of this runoff that I have is that nobody is changing their vote. Right. Like there's nobody who who in November voted for Purdue that's going to vote for Ossoff and vice versa. And there's nobody who voted for a Republican in the jungle primary that's now going to vote for a Democrat and vice versa. I'm probably wrong about that, but I'm sure that I'm not that wrong. You know, like there will be some crossover people, but I I can't imagine it'll be margin differencing, you know, making the 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 place where this race will be running won or lost is going to be on turnout. And that's why I was kind of surprised, and I know we played it on uh, our previous episode, Warnock's opening ad of this runoff, which I I, met, I love the ad, and I really, really enjoy it, but it, it did not seem like a base mobilization ad. It definitely seemed like a uh, persuasion ad. And Loeffler fell right into it, <laughs> so I guess the argument he's making is not wrong. I just don't know if it's the best political argument to make, uh, you know, Warnock definitely doesn't hate puppies, but I, I'm genuinely shocked Loeffler has not accused him of that uh, based off of everything else that she has accused him of. And the thing that's happening here, and I think we discussed this going into this election, is the problem that the Republicans find themselves in is that all the things they want to do are very unpopular and all the things they are against are very unpopular. And so they have two choices they either say, I want to do unpopular thing, or they lie about it. And they have chosen to lie about it, both in lying about their support for pre-existing conditions, which has been proven 
innumerable times that they don't actually support it and that they will vote against it every time they have an opportunity to and they will lie about what their opponents believe and want to do because if they confronted that head on in a fair fight they would lose that fight and they understand that and so that's why they just like throw up their hands and say my opponent is a communist and you know and also i mean they're a communist and a rioter and work with terrorists like i I mean it's just like it doesn't it's incomprehensible but it's effective because it's just like well that seems bad and so people uh you know they're hoping their base will be fired up by it and i think for a large part they have been Interesting contrast here, though, Luke. We we were talking about this before we recorded, but I think this fits here. That's a bio spot from Revan Warnock. And in some ways, it actually strikes me as a bit of a persuasion spot in that if you voted, basically, if you voted against Trump because you thought that he was radical unfit to serve and and had proven so over the last four years, but you are a probably a religious and maybe a little bit conservative person. Warnock is anticipating Leffler's going to levy these, uh, these types of attacks at him. And he, I think is aiming to persuade that voter who soured on Trump, but is a little bit conservative or moderate to see Warnock's religious background and, and not immediately jump to, well, Warnock's a radical, you know, too. John Ossoff, you mentioned, has been, has focused more in his messaging on the stakes of this election for control of the U.S. Senate at the national level, party control, and what it means for what will or won't be done. In Washington, you said that he, um, put out a message today that we should make voter suppression a crime. And obviously only a democratic Senate is going to do that. Yeah. I mean, John Ossoff has been running on a very different strategy than Democrats prior to 2018 ran on in Georgia, because, you know, we were talking about this before the show, but just like as an example, like if Michelle Nunn had gone into a runoff in 2014 and the Senate control hinged on her being there or not, I would put a lot of money down <laughs> that Michelle Nunn's argument would not have been, I will get, I will flip the <laughs> Senate into Democratic hands and we will do all this progressive policy. <laughs> like that would not have been her argument. And that was just six years ago. Whereas like that is John Ossoff's argument. It's not about like why he would be a better decision maker than Purdue, though he definitely would be. And it's not about like how he, is you know bringing generational change or anything like that it is very firmly in the democrats want to do x republicans don't want to do x i will do x elect me so democrats can get things done and we can actually solve problems in this country and what i think is so interesting about that is just how much things have changed in the state because i you know 6 years ago i would be very pessimistic about the potential for this plan to work. And I think your your analysis of Warnock's ag is, is astute because I think I think really what they're both trying to do in slightly different ways is they are analyzing the state in the way that I am and the way I'm surprised that Purdue and Loeffler are not is that Joe Biden won it. You know, like Joe Biden won Georgia. More people, you know, voted for Joe Biden than voted for Donald Trump, which I think is really important to reemphasize because I think Purdue and Loeffler are living in the past of the state where Republicans always win, always. And that's just not what happened. For the first time in 28 years, a Democrat on the presidential ticket will take Georgia. And what I think Ossoff and Warnock are trying to do is to look at all those people, which are a bigger amount of people than the people that voted for Trump, and say, please show up again and vote for me because you like Joe Biden or were willing to vote for him at least, and if you want Joe Biden to be successful, I need to be in the Senate to help him. And the way they are doing that is, you know, Warnock is trying to hit the, like, values, empathy, I understand you track, whereas Ossoff is trying to hit the there are very big, important things we need to do. And without me in the Senate, Joe Biden's not going to be able to get those things done because Republicans like Loeffler and Purdue are just like Trump and they are going to keep making these really bad decisions. 
And I mean, the, the thing <laughs> that's so striking to me is my very firm feeling that both parties candidates are doing exactly the right thing for their political bases as far as like how they think they should win this election. And also for the first time, I feel like Democrats could. I, I still feel like we are at a disadvantage, but I feel like we could wing it. And I think this is the winging strategy. It's just a question of will it be enough? Well, and the interesting thing on that affirmative argument that Ossoff's making about the stakes for party control and what Democrats could do. That is also seemingly an argument that Republicans or at least outside Republican groups that would like to see Purdue and Leffler win these races. That's an argument that they're eager to have. And that's an argument that they're taking to the airwaves. Um, here is Florida Senator Rick Scott, who is also the incoming chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Here's an ad that, that he cut with an outside group. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. That's Democrat leader Chuck Schumer. You heard him. They plan to take Georgia so they can change America. Their change, reduce funding for police, eliminate employer-based health insurance, pack the Supreme Court, chip away at our religious freedom and gun rights. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. Georgia, don't let these radicals change America. Let's get to work packaged responsible for the content of this advertising. It always does make me giggle when someone refers to Chuck Schumer as a radical, but <laughs> the... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a good argument, and that would be one I, I wish that Loeffler and Purdue were focused on, just because of the fact that, like, it's it's more based in reality, that, like, it's a big deal if you're a conservative, if Democrats take over the Senate. Like, I feel like that's a fair argument that you could make, rather than, you know, the conspiratorial-minded uh, uh, BS that they were hitting on, which, of course, that ad did as well, because neither Warnock or Ossoff want to defund the police, because... Very few elected officials or candidates for office want to do that. Um, and it is just, it's so frustrating that we're in this, you know, fantasy land of campaigning where it's just not based in objective reality at all. But I think it, it now it makes it interesting that with Georgia being almost perfectly a 50 50 state, a state that is 14,000 votes leaning for Biden in this base driven runoff you're going to see what I kind of feels like what kind of feels like a, a strength on strength matchup of Republicans and Democrats putting forward their most aggressive arguments. And it's going to be backed by a ton of money between now and January. And that's what's going to determine control of the U S Senate. And if, if Democrats are not successful, it also is going to really quickly shrink the ambitions of a Joe Biden presidency, at least for the first two years of his term. So, I mean, you know, everything really is on the line and it's on the line again in our state, the center of the political universe. And that's exhausting. You see, uh, it, it's so funny because after election night, you know, uh, I, I was very exhausted both from um, the hard campaign that I worked on that was unsuccessful and just the results not being the repudiation of Trump that I'm sure both you and I wanted. And I was very tired and ready ready to, uh, you know, put my hat up, bury my guns in the ground and, and you know, work in the private sector. Um, but the, the fact that it is coming down to Georgia really has validated a lot of the work that I've done in the state and a lot of my friends have done in the state for years. It makes it feel like that it does matter because I, I, I was feeling like things did not matter uh, on, you know, last Tuesday. And n now now it's very clear to me that they do and that our work is purposeful. And so I, I'm actually re-energized and I'm ready to get in this fight because even if we are unsuccessful, I think the movement building and the infrastructure building that this is going to provide us, the opportunity that this provides is 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 worth taking advantage of and i i i really do think this is a coin flip uh just because of the fact that like georgians have proven they are willing to vote for democrats and they are willing to elect them and i think the amount of energy that the folks working on the ground have is more than enough combined with outside investment to 
to make this possible. It's just a question of, you know, what does the electorate want? Like, which which side wants it more? <laughs> you know, because historically speaking, the president's party does not do well in runoffs and specials right after an election. Uh, but I I really am hoping that this can be the exception that proves the rule just because the stakes are so high. And I, I really think even people who don't vote in this election would acknowledge just how important it is and that like it actually like matters because this, you know, this is not like a situation where, oh, you know, we could have 40, you know, 48 instead of 46 senators. So it's like, no, this is for control. This determines all the marbles. And so on that sense, I think uh, it, it is a really unique political science experiment because it's very, very rare where you can say with absolute certainty, like this election will determine who controls the Senate, period. Um, I, I don't know if that's ever happened before. So that, that I think is, is going to be very interesting. And I should say, I have my own exhaustion because this has been a very long election season packed into a very long year, but it is at the same time, very important for all the reasons that you laid out, Luke, and is, is a reason to go vote is a reason to call your friends, make sure they have a plan to vote, make sure that if you want to vote by absentee to order your ballot, your absentee ballot ASAP, get that in, get that in the mail to you, fill it out, send it back, take it to a Dropbox, do what you got to do. January 5th is going to be here before we know it. Send Joe Biden a good New Year's present. Yes, I think that's a New Year's present Joe Biden would really appreciate. And look, I think that's a a good place to close. Um, So it was good to talk again post-election. I'm glad to see that you're reinvigorated and and ready to get back out there. And uh, listeners, it's going to be another wild two months, but that's what we do here. Georgia is finally the center of the political universe as it deserves to be. Finally, we've been it since 2017. (laughs) That's why I guess I'm that's exhausted. true. Yeah, I get. I guess in a lot of ways we were a precursor to uh, some of these conversations. But now it's undeniable. You could have argued back then. Now you can't. First runoff of the Trump era, last runoff of the Trump era, John Ossoff, present for both. Ah, <laughs> oh, that, that is that is a fascinating uh, factoid. Yeah, and that's where we'll leave it. So we'll talk to you again soon, listeners. Go dogs. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I, I'm gonna cut that. <laughs> That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks, as always, to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all. 